of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Great to be here today, and I'm glad you have joined me as we are continuing this journey through the Psalms, uh, my favorite book of the Bible. And this is the Psalm Project, where I am setting all 150 Psalms to music. And we've made it a, a good ways through the book. In fact, many of the books of the Bible, we would have already been finished by now. But here we are at Psalm 25 today. We have a uh, even though we've gone a, a good bit on this, we have a long way to go. <laughs> so here we are in Psalm 25. Um, this psalm is um, is an acrostic psalm. If you remember me, I, t- I talked about that a little bit in a previous episode. Uh, the psalms, many of them were, uh, well, probably all of them are poetic in nature, uh, and so they are they utilize artistic devices to get the point across. Um, an acrostic psalm, and an acrostic, if you know what it is, it's, it's a poem or a, a text in which the initial letters of each successive line form a word, a phrase, or a pattern, something like that. Uh, the acrostic psalms, and there are multiple acrostic songs, they tend to use the 22 letters um, of the Hebrew alphabet with slight variations. And so the first word of the first verse, beginning with Aleph, uh, is the, the first word of the second verse, beginning with uh, Bet, so on and so forth. Um, but that's generally what they use, and there are numerous clear instances in the Old Testament of acrostic psalms, and this is one of them. Uh, psalm 34, Psalm 37 is another. Psalm 119, the the longest chapter of the Bible, is probably the most complete acrostic psalm, and it's divided into 22 sections, each titled with a letter of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and each of those sections have eight verses, and we'll discuss that when we get there. Um, so why an acrostic? Why use this? Uh, I can think of several reasons. Number one, it might be an artistic device. Number two, it could indicate the subject is being covered completely from A to Z. Uh, third reason, perhaps, um, it, it perhaps it's a mnemonic device designed to assist the young or children in learning the Psalms. Now remember the Psalms often referred to as the hymnal of Israel, this would have been used by Hebrew adults and children alike. And so perhaps it could have been used uh, like that in that way. Uh, 25, Psalm 25 is an acrostic psalm. And it's primarily the, the lament of an individual. And we see that in verses uh, 16 through 21. We'll get there and read it. But the last verse of Psalm 25 applies it to the community. In other words, it's coming from more than just an individual, but from the covenant community. Uh, And we see this theme of covenant in Psalm 25. So without any further ado, let me read Psalm 25 and listen to this text. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. 
Oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are God. You are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord. For he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. O guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of his troubles. So let's get into this, uh, Psalm 25, and look at this a little section at a time. Um, we see here in verse 5, uh, beginning here at the beginning of the psalm, uh, where the, this is a psalm of David, by the way. He says, lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. And it's a reminder, really, that God himself is the one who provides wisdom for us. And we see this throughout this psalm. We see this theme of wisdom. And we have to remember as believers that God alone provides wisdom. If you remember, Solomon asked for wisdom from God. And we'll get into this here in verse 7 here in a little bit coming up. Um, or actually verse, verse 12, we'll, we'll look at this. Um, but it reminds me of the book of Proverbs that, that the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge is fear of the Lord. In verses six and seven, he says, remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. This is not as if God has forgotten his mercy. If you remember in, um, uh, the book of Exodus in chapter 23, where it says the Israelites cried out to God. It says he, he heard his covenant, he heard their cries and he remembered his covenant. It's not like he forgot it, but it's as if those corporate prayers from Israel, from his people triggered him acting based on his covenant with them. And so the psalmist here says, remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. And these are all words that are connected with God's covenant, which is the basis 
of the psalmist's trust. I've said this often, but remember that we are part of a body before we are individuals. We are part of the covenant of God, the covenant of grace. And in, one, in a previous ex- episode uh, years ago, I discussed the difference in the covenant of grace and the, the covenant of redemption. The covenant of redemption precedes the covenant of grace, and it was made in eternity past between the three members of the Godhead, and derived from that is the covenant of grace between the Lord and his people, us Christians. And he has based his work and his love on that covenant of grace, not simply because of us, okay? It is God's loving and redeeming works is not because of us. It's not because we are so great. It's not because God saw something in us worth redeeming. I heard somebody say that recently. Oh, God had to see something in us worth redeeming. No, that's not, that. that's the point of the gospel is that there was nothing worth redeeming and God redeemed us anyway. And so uh, the basis of his works, of his loving kindness towards his people is his covenant. And it's not as if he forgets his covenant. So when you see this in scripture, remember your covenant, remember your mercy, O Lord. It's not saying that God ever forgot it. It's really more for us to remember it, that there is a covenant and that he does act in love. We see this in verse 10. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. His revealed will for our lives. That's what he's talking about here. That's the word of God. That is the Bible. That's what he has revealed to us. And then in verse 12, he says, Who is the man who fears the Lord? And it reminds me of uh, Proverbs 1, 7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom in some translations. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does that mean to fear the Lord? Who is the man who fears the Lord? That's what the psalmist says. Fear of the Lord. I've heard people say, well, it's not being scared. It's it's a respect. Uh, That's partially correct. But there is an aspect of fearing the Lord where it is a literal, a fear, being afraid. Countless times in scripture, Jesus commands us not to be afraid. Do not be afraid. What is one of the first things that an angel says when people behold an angel in scripture? Don't be afraid. And I believe that one of the reasons we're told not to be afraid of other things, other elements, other people in this world is because God is the only one worthy of our fear. And when I, when I say fear, I'm talking about being afraid. Let me give you an example. When I was a, a child, when I was younger, if I did something wrong, I was afraid for what my dad was going to do to me. He was going to bust my butt and I was afraid of it. And that did not mean that I thought he didn't love me. I didn't, I never once thought my dad didn't love me. I never once thought that he was against me. I knew deep down that what he had in mind for me was for my own good. But I was afraid of him if I didn't honor his commands, his wishes. That's how we should be with God. And, and you know what? The ultimate punishment God has taken away from us, the punishment of eternal damnation to hell. And so he's taken that away, but we still must honor him and we should be afraid of the consequences when we don't honor him. So yes, there's an aspect where fearing God is a respect, but there's an aspect where it's also literally being afraid of him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom. 
We should remember that, that, that it is the fear of the Lord that where, where we begin to develop the wisdom of God. If without the fear of the Lord, what is our motivation for serving him? Sure, his love. Sure, his goodness. But how far does that get us? And we're told in scripture to fear the Lord. And so I contend that if we fear other things or other people, that is a form of idolatry because God is the only one worthy of our fear. And rightfully so, when we give our fear to something else, it's as if we are placing that something else above God. The fear of the Lord. And in verse 13, talking about the one who fears the Lord, his soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. There are blessings and curses mentioned in Deuteronomy 27 and 28. And you can read that when you want, but I'll just kind of give you a brief overview of it. There are various curses. Um, God says, Cursed be the man who makes a carved or metal cast image, an abomination to the Lord. Uh, Cursed is anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark. Cursed is anyone who misleads a blind man on the road. So on and so forth. And then in in chapter 28, there are blessings... For obedience. Here's the curses. Here's Here are the blessings for obeying God. And it makes it clear that Israel will keep the land given to them by God. In Deuteronomy 27 and 28, it makes it clear that Israel will keep this land that God gave them if they remain faithful to the conditions of the covenant. In verse 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. Each time Abraham doubted God's ability to fulfill the promises in Genesis 12, each time he he doubted that, and and believe me, it would be easy to doubt, okay? (laughs) Abraham is the um, patriarch. We are sons and daughters of Abraham. Each time he doubted this, God appeared to him and renewed that covenant. He didn't redo it. He just renewed it. Genesis 15 and 17 is an example of that. He says he will, uh, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. So this covenant of Abraham, we are also a part of that covenant. And he makes known that covenant to us, his people. Verse 18, consider my affliction and my trouble. Forgive my sins. Verse 19, consider how many are my foes. David here recognizes that his troubles are caused by both his own sins and the attacks of outside forces, the sins of others. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes our troubles are our own fault. And sometimes our troubles are the fault of others. Either way, God is there and faithful to forgive us, to love us, to guide us. And so this psalm um, is the lament of David, but also a reference to covenantal wisdom. And then the last verse, he says, redeem Israel, O God, out of all of his troubles. So he sort of links his own individual faith with the faith in the covenant between God and his people. And so this psalm has been set to music. I hope and pray this blesses you and you worship 
through this. Here is Psalm 25. Thank you for listening today to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Shabbing forth my feet out of the net. 
wishes turn to me Desolate and depressed The troubles of my heart have grown Relieve me from distress Look on my grief and pain Forgiving all my sin See how my enemies increase How fierce their hate has been Guard and protect my life Save and deliver me Oh, let me not be put to shame In you my trust will be since I upon you wait, let truth and right defend Redemption, God, for Israel from all his troubles sin.